Security is proud to be a supporter of ASIO's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Security. Security workforce management software reimagined. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Security Insider podcast. And we're having a, uh, a discussion today around security basics. And joining us on the discussion is Julian Claxton of Jade Consulting and Julian Talbot of Security Risk Management Body of Knowledge. And because we have two Julians on the podcast, I'm going to refer to them as JT for Julian Talbot and uh, JC for Julian Claxton. Otherwise, this is going to get way too confusing. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Makes perfect sense, JB. Thank you. Oh, look out. We've got JB, JC and JT. Good luck trying to keep track of that. Yeah, I thought it would have been easy. Just call us all Julian. That's That's it. We'll we'll just all answer to Julian. Everyone can jump in. so I, I want to talk a little bit about security basics because I believe that as people who work in a professional security space, we all end up getting so deep into the weeds on security and become so enamoured with the smell of our own armpits that we forget about the basics and never, ever, ever revisit them. But without the basic hygiene in place, everything else falls down. JC, you can, you can kick us off on this because... You look at this from a technical security countermeasures point of view and other things all the time. Really good uh, segue into the discussion surrounding budgets. Yep. Because what we're seeing in our, in our client organisations is this inordinate amount of money placed into cyber security and focusing on technology to solve problems within our sector or, or, yep. or relating to potential security breaches. And what I'm saying to organisations is let's get back to basics. Let's look at what, what I have done a lot of research and a lot of work on. Let's look at human factors. Yeah. All breaches, all security concerns or anything related to security comes down to the human factor. It is undertaken by an individual yeah. or a group of people. And I think we, we are overlooking the simplicity of human behaviour within uh, client organisations collectively. Yeah. And, and JT, Julian Talbot, I know from a risk management point of view, this is something that you sort of talk about and it's, it's something that's deeply embedded in a lot of what you do. When you're talking about the basics, what are you referring to? Look, there's so much, I guess, in the basics that we think about. And, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of practical examples. So firstly, it's around bringing people into the organisation, vetting, training, inducting, giving them the, the understanding of the skills they need as a capability but then we, we often drift off to this wonderful land of all of these great gadgets we can buy and th- these things we can invest in. You know, I did a, an enterprise security risk assessment recently for a very large organisation, which shall remain nameless for reasons about to become obvious, but they have a lot of sensitive information. And when you go to some of their sites, their servers are not even locked. Their server racks are in stationary rooms unlocked. You know, and if everybody knows in that ICT, they've got great IT protection in there, but if you can put a USB stick into a server, you can own that server and it takes nothing. Go to Amazon, buy some lockpicks, get into the stationary cupboard, go to the dark web, buy some malware, buy a USB stick off Amazon, plug it in and you can own it. And for all these other great protections that are spending millions of dollars on to um, JC's point around big money in IT, just put a lock on the server rack. It's well, the simple things. It, it, I'm going to go one step further. It doesn't even require a USB stick. It requires an Allen key that you get from any ikea when you buy furniture you walk into the server room 
you undo the server, you pull it out of the rack, you pull the fire alarm on the building, and as everyone's walking out, you just walk out with the server. I don't care what firewall you've got. Com completely. And look, you know, one of the things that I saw with this and other, a lot of other sites, the basic housekeeping, you know, so you've got all this rubbish lying around outside the server room. It's only a, a window away, and there's a pile of bricks there to, to make the entry even so easy for you. So it's wonderful to think big picture strategy, but you've got to look at, what are people mm. doing on the ground? I think a lot of um, a lot of people forget some of those really simple. Uh, I guess we call them cliches nowadays. Yep. Um, you know, security by you know layers of defence, uh, protecting your crown jewels, for example, mm. uh, within an organisation. And and you mention those t that terminology now, and people often roll their eyes, go, oh, you know, that's old school. But it's bloody not. Mm. Protect the core. Yeah. If you're talking about a classified document. You can have every security control in the book from the outside in, access control, CCTV, vibration, motion sensors. I mean, you name it. You can have vetting of employees. You can have just about any conceivable security measure that you can imagine. But if that document is sitting on the bloody table in the lunchroom, yep. opportunity presents and somebody, regardless of how trusted they are within the organisation, one day their circumstance is going to be such that they're going to seize that opportunity. Well, I'm going to give you two examples here, both of which are probably going to piss a lot of people off, so they'll remain unnamed. But we happen to be recording this podcast at Darling Harbour. There is a bridge that leads from Sydney CDB over to Darling Harbour. There are buildings either side of that bridge that, can, that house companies that deal with a lot of sensitive client and proprietary information. As you walk over that bridge, they have boardrooms with whiteboards sitting there in which senior leadership and all sorts of people write wonderful things up on the whiteboard that are quite sensitive at times, and it's publicly viewable as you walk over the bridge. Dare I admit this, I have worked in many of those very buildings you're referring to just around the corner yeah. and regularly. And it doesn't matter how many times I make those recommendations, clean the whiteboards, close the curtains, or more, more validly, move the boardroom off the perimeter, for goodness sake. Yep. It doesn't change because they say to me, our visitors and our executives love the view and that's why we're in this building. Yeah, so put them on higher levels of the building where you can't see straight into them from the footbridge. But the Drones. Other, yeah, drones is another one. Okay. But the other pet peeve I have is... I cannot tell you the number of data centres that I have walked into where they lease out space to people to be able to house their own racks within the data centre. There is no explosives trace detection and there is no x-ray screening. Now, that seems to me like a pretty potent cocktail for a disaster. Especially when you consider what's going on to those servers and those racks and those clouds. And, and, and firstly, nobody really knows because there's so many different organisations there. So you have to assume the worst. You have to assume this is mission critical. We don't even know if it's NBN or it's electricity infrastructure or it's whatever it might be. You actually have to assume once you've got a data centre, everything is potentially either there or going to be there in the future. Yep. So if we go back and, and to our initial topic, which is basic housekeeping hygiene... JC, I will start with you. If you had to give five basic rules that are like day one, security 101 stuff that everyone needs to go back and revisit every six to 12 months, what would they be? Lock your sensitive documents in an appropriate container. There's right. the first. 
Yep. Absolutely. And maintain vigilance with respect to clean desk policies. So we've recently finished a project for a relatively high profile but small organisation whose physical security controls and electronic are second to none. Yep. However, once they open up the executive corridor, it stays open all day. And yep. so the threat in their context is all the other executives and the uh, executive assistants that work there. And because they think that they're in a secure perimeter, the amount of information, sensitive information pertaining to this organisation left on desks is mind-boggling. Yeah. We, as contractors going in, could see that information. Yeah. So, back to the point. Lock sensitive information away at all times. And if you leave the office, put that stuff in a drawer, first and foremost. Moving on to a couple of, the other, uh, a couple of other options. When you're looking at your vetting, and JT mentioned this a moment ago, security vetting is obviously a considerable part of the process. Don't do it at a point in time and forget about it. Yep. It's got to be dynamic Yep. as an organisation. It must be dynamic. Yep. Because if you leave it to the time they were employed, people's ideology changes. Mm-hmm. And sorry to, this guy's been done to death, but Edward Snowden is a classic example. He joined the organisation believing in, in the good that it was doing, saw things he didn't like, and his ideology shifted. So people's personality changes over time, and circumstance and environment changes over time as well. Yep. So don't just do it at a point in time with the vetting. Make sure that you keep, it, keep a vigilant approach in a dynamic manner. So that's another factor that needs to be considered when you're looking at some of the basics. Um, I think the other thing is... is uh, back to what we started uh, talking about in a previous podcast, and that's education. Yep. It's making sure security awareness is shared amongst all and that people feel comfortable reporting. And that's probably another factor. It's maybe a separate topic, but security awareness training, yep. regular security awareness training. But make it fun. Don't just have a point, point after point after point on a boring PowerPoint presentation. Make it dynamic. Do a bit of role-playing. Do some workshopping. Make yep. it something that they're going to remember. Yep. And as a part of that, explain the importance of their contribution for everybody's good, yep. if that makes sense. Because every employee, I don't care what their role is, every employee plays a part within the well-being and particularly the security of any organisation, regardless of the nature of the business or, or entity. Yep. So I think there, there's a few key points that need to be considered. And then I, I touched on reporting. It's really important to have a robust reporting process yep. and a reporting process that also responds and, act, uh, and, and, and provides an action. Now, the action might be that we've had a complaint that, um, that John has been uh, harassing women at work, whatever the circumstance. Damn, again. <laughs> Sorry about that, mate. <laughs> I did say I wasn't going to mention anything. Um, and so, um, you know... Ms. X has made the complaint and said that, you know, John's been giving me some problems and what have you. The boss then says, all right, well, I'll go to have a talk to the supervisor. The supervisor says, oh, no, she's a troublemaker. Don't worry about her. And nothing's done. Yep. Ms. X then thinks to herself, well, the company doesn't care. Yep. She's then in a stressful situation. Whether it's true or not, she believes it is. She's got that perception. And again, whether it's true or not, if she feels it, she needs to be, it needs to be addressed appropriately. And, and so the management say, oh, look, don't worry about it. She's a troublemaker. Just forget about it. Yep. She then festers. So she's not only experiencing stress because nothing's been done. She's experiencing stress because the organisation 
um, sorry, because she's still experiencing that problem. Yep. She then becomes your insider threat within that organisation. So the yep. point that I'm making is it's great to have a robust reporting process, whether it's a whistleblower mechanism and or a log of some description, but you've got to take action. Yep. Whether it's found to be uh, a, a vexatious complaint or otherwise, a response back down the line is really fundamental. I can't stress that enough. We see this a lot. Yep. And those individuals who make the complaints then become the problem themselves in many yeah. instances. Um, and I think, you know, back to the security awareness, it's not just about regular training, but it's about signage and awareness around the workplace. So you've got to change the culture within organisations so that people think security, despite the fact that's not actually their function. Yep. And what we, what we as security practitioners have to remember is that individuals within organisations are not there to be security staff. They're there to do accounting, they're there to do sales, they're there to do whatever their function is within that organisation, run podcasts. Yep. They may not and probably don't shouldn't, and shouldn't be expected to think about security per se. That's the organisation's job, to educate them on security awareness. They don't have to become experts, but they certainly have to become aware of their surroundings. So some behavioural training, you know, looking for behavioural anomalies could be quite valid as well. And I'm probably diving a little bit deeper um, yep. here than perhaps some basics. But they're probably the simple things that come to mind in the first instance yep. from my perspective. But even on your point about security awareness, a lot of the research shows that most of the things like posters and, and placards around the workforce only last for two weeks before people become blind to them. So mm. Yes, I agree with you 100%. You need that security awareness from the point of view of posting important things around the office. But two things that you have to remember if you're going to do it, put it at eye level and move them to different locations every two weeks so that people keep seeing them again. Make them fun. There was yep. an organisation literally back in 2001 or two, here in Sydney actually, yep. it's the best I've ever seen. They had these signs up and on one of the signs it was full of flies, little plastic yep. flies that had been stuck on it. Yep. And it said, be careful, there might be a fly on the wall listening. Yep. Brilliant. Yep. This is a, 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 it was actually a financial institution. Yep. I was really impressed. One of the other posters literally had a glass stuck to it and then a picture of a person with their ear up to the glass. Yep. Be aware of how loud you speak in the office or in the rooms. Yeah. Somebody could be listening. Yep. Things like that become a conversation point. And that's why I said earlier, when you're looking at implementing your training, make it dynamic, make it fun so they want to talk about it. And it becomes a conversation point within the organisation. Yeah. And this just reminded me, one last thing I just want to comment on is culture. Yep. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the HR space about culture and resilience and all that sort of stuff. Think about how you felt in previous employment where you've been unhappy in your job. Yeah you are less likely to do the right thing by that organisation or the people next to you and above you in that organisation if you're not happy within that. Yep. So it's really fundamental that HR teams and management and in fact all employees are aware of a person's psyche within that organisation. Yep. And if somebody's being dragged down or there's a collective that says, you know, that new boss Dave, God, he's a pain in the backside. You know, he's a real a-hole. You know, we just don't like him. Over time, if nothing changes, and, and I'm talking about a collective where clearly there's something wrong with Dave. Bloody Dave. Bloody Dave. Um, or Karen. Yeah. Um, then that, that's going to fester within that organisation and it's going to create this discontent, which in itself then becomes disgruntlement in many instances within the organisation. And disgruntlement is one of the top six key uh, indications or catalysts for insider threat incidents. Okay. So... 
JT, Julian Talbot, give us your laundry list. What are the what are the basics of security hygiene that you think people are missing and need to revisit? Look, JC and I have been friends for almost 20 years, so clearly all Julians think alike. And I'm just yep. going to expand upon a couple <laughs> of those points yep. because he, he's pretty much nailed it. There's, there's probably three areas where I see organisations fall down. The first one is training, where I'll, I'll talk to an organisation and say, no, we've got a security awareness training. Okay, yes, you've got a 15-minute online security awareness course. That is not a comprehensive security training program. And it's got to start with a foundation. People say, oh, so what should we train in? I go, no, no, don't forget what you want to train in. Work out what you want to achieve. Do a training needs analysis. That's the foundation. You've got to work out what people need to know in that context of that organisation, of their role in that organisation, of their level of experience and skills already. And then you have to look at that in the context of a thing called the Kirkpatrick Training Evaluation Framework. And there's essentially four, now five with the adapter. And the, the first level says, okay, did people enjoy the training? You can ask them, smiley face sort of stuff. The second level is, uh, was there a transfer of knowledge? And that's classically, you go to a course, at the start you do a multiple choice questionnaire, at the end you do another one, did they learn something? That's all great, that's foundational stuff. But where organisations really drop it is this level three. Go back into the workforce six months later and say, did they change their behaviours? Mm. Then to get to level four, go back in the workforce after 18 months and see, was there a change in outcomes for the organisation? And then level five says, go back again, continuously and say, did we get a return on investment for all yeah. this training? And you don't know that unless you start even before the training needs analysis, say, what, what are your objectives? Because then you can work out how to measure your objectives. What are the behaviours I want to yeah. see? What, how, you know, if you don't know what you want, then you're pretty much wasting your money with training. And you've got to ask what they want as well, what the, what the attendees are looking to achieve as well. well I think it's, it's both ways. So that point, it's got to be engaging, it's yeah. got to be fun, it's got to be um, fundamentally change their perspective, which is around that idea of culture and, and risk culture is just a part of culture. The culture of an organisation includes risk. It's not around this idea of risk management culture. And people will say, so how do I change culture? You know, you can't do it. You've got to have a new leadership. You've got all these. It's not complicated. Four steps works every time, everywhere. Training changes people's behaviour. And it changes their behaviour because when they hit it, a problem, whether it's a new problem or an old problem, they've got now got different tools they can use they yep. go oh now i know i can approach this you know anger management's a classic right <laughs> yeah so it, i've got a different way of approaching this difficult situation or i now know how to do a job hazard analysis so i'll use that instead of just sort of making it up but when people's behavior changes something else happens their attitude changes and their attitude changes because we're going back to the really deep-seated idea of cognitive dissonance which is that if we do something we justify it in our mind as being the right thing to do, whatever that is in our framework. And so people saying, well, if I'm doing a risk assessment, that's because it's the right thing. Cognitive dissonance tells me this behaviour is right there for my attitude changes to it. And when your attitude changes and my attitude and his attitude and her attitude and everybody's attitude change, we call that cultural change. And that's how you change culture. And that's the foundation of getting to... And this is what I just see so many organisations the basic that they leave, they underinvest in or they don't even think about it in any holistic way. The other two points quickly is one, this, um, this idea of vetting and, um, you know, and aftercare when you terminate people. Very, very, very few organisations, even some of the most, you know, highest classified, high security organisations in the country, actively do peer support in the middle. And there are a hundred indicators between body language, behaviour, dress and bearing, 
um, attitude, conflict in the workplace, all these things that you can flag. But if you don't teach the entire workforce how to recognise those signs and empower them to do something about it, hey, you know, John, I see you're having a bad day. Can I help anything at all about you know, you're taking the pressure off or you're giving people a chance to vent, to think about, oh, look, I'm really not happy here. I need to do such and such. It's that bit in the middle, the ongoing continuous aftercare. And the third thing, and, and JC touched on it, is reporting. Again, I'll see so many organisations say, yeah, we do security reporting. We report to the board every month. I go, no, you know, you give a report, which is a nice document of what somebody thinks, but you need a monthly report at least and each of the headings of that report should be against a KPI, right? You've got objectives, you know, you worked out what you want from your training, you worked out what you want from security, you work, whether you're doing training, inspections, whatever. Each of those should be a set KPI and then just a paragraph against each. Because not only does that tell you if you're improving or getting worse each month, you know, the more people train, less people train, there are more incidents, less incidents, um, who, who's engaged, all those sort of metrics that you should work out for your organisation. But it's this idea of what, we think about is important what gets our attention becomes more important to us and if you just if you're not seeing those reports regularly come across your desk then you are easily forgetting about it so yeah yep so here's my top things that i want either of you or both of you to jump in on the things that i see that i believe organizations get wrong continually especially when it comes to basic security hygiene is that They believe that because they're a smaller organisation, certain security practices and principles aren't relevant to them. And the first one is check the references of the people that you are hiring. It's not hard. Just make a freaking phone call. And if you're going to check the references of the people that you are hiring, learn how to discreetly ask people ways that they can communicate things that might make them uncomfortable because people aren't necessarily going to want to bag out a potential employee on the phone. So learn to understand when someone is being hesitant or necessarily not giving you all the information, but just make the phone call. Well, let me let me interject, John, because um, this is something that, uh, that I've been thinking about for some time and have spoken with a number of clients about. What I have seen with those organisations who do make the, the phone call, to yep. their credit, is they put the most junior of staff onto those yep. me, what they de- deem to be menial tasks. Yeah, you need to have somebody who is a behavioural specialist or a an investigator or a an HR expert or even someone who's just a tree, bit senior in the organisation who's had the experience. Yeah. absolutely. And I I see it time and time again. Oh, was Johnny a good operator? You know, did did he do his job really well? Uh, yeah, okay, thank you. Yes, okay, thank you. You know, yeah. and, and that's kind of the extent of it. Whereas when somebody hesitates or they, they, they stutter in, the, in their response, what that individual should be saying is, okay, so they did their job, but were there any particular issues that you're concerned about or are there areas that perhaps we need to be mindful of relating to their behaviour or performance that you uh, might recommend? And, and to your point about I'm only a small organisation, well, you know, BHP started out as a small organisation. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, I'm Joe, I'm running a cleaning company and I just clean houses and before you know it, you're cleaning offices and then you're cleaning the boardroom mm. of BHP and you've still got the same staff from back when you didn't run any checks at all and you, you've still got new staff coming in based on the idea that we're just a little cleaning company, forgetting you're cleaning, you know, some senior executives' waste bins and whiteboards to your point with material on there. And you think about our entire supply chain uh, not that we make motor vehicles in this country anymore, but if we did manufacture anything like that, 
the model now is that the key components are made by small. A lot of the components when we were making, you know, still holding cars here in the day, they were made in small factories run by two or three people running CNC lathes. And all these little components, these gadgets that go into essentially defence equipment. I was just about to say, JT, let's let's draw it into a current scenario yeah. because uh, some of the warship designs were compromised by very, very small operators mm-hmm. yeah. who, who only had a tiny component that they needed to contribute to the development of some of these defence products, for example. And they were compromised because they thought they were too small to be worried about. And they had a cyber hack from memory and blueprints that they needed to develop their product, but that actually comprised information pertaining to the larger warships or whatever the circumstance might be. This is a real situation. You're absolutely right. The blueprints for the ASIO headquarters a few years ago were taken from a a, a third tier, second tier contractor sort of thing with drafting plans on them. I mean, it cost... Millions. millions, millions and millions yeah. to redesign the entire area to say, well, now that everybody in the world knows where our um, secure compartments are, yeah. we yeah. should probably move them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And keep them away from the windows on the water. Yep. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> my, my second point dovetails into what you were talking about with security awareness training, but once you've made the phone call and you understand that you're getting a good egg to begin with, give them understanding around social engineering. What does social engineering look like, both physically and electronically, from an email point of view and an online point of view, and help staff understand that confrontation is necessary. If someone is walking around your building that they don't think belongs, talk to them, find out what's going on, understand how people engineer their way into secure areas. Understand when people are sending you emails that look dubious that it might well be dubious. It's as simple as if it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it probably is a duck. John, I must I must admit that a lot of our clients are doing that properly. Good. Yeah. Um, and I'm really impressed in some instances. And I'll give you a, a great example uh, without giving too much away. I was involved on an engagement in Canberra not too long ago. government facility. We were there for a week working on a various quite sensitive project and a part of that project required three of us to walk outside at night time around the building. We we were looking for something particular and because we were all collaborating and we had equipment that was facing into the building, uh, we were actually caught by surprise to this person's credit an employee in the internal car park of this building was looking out through a gap in the fence line. And she actually reported it to security to her Good. absolute credit. And my contact, who was my client within that organisation, was received a call on his two-way saying, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, on his phone saying, uh, we've just had a complaint um, that there's some suspicious people working around. Do you know anything about it? Oh, yeah, that's us. So we went, collectively, we actually went and approached that woman. She was still in the building. Yep. And we, com- we commended her on her efforts. And uh, I nearly said his name. The, the gentleman yeah. who I was working with said to her, what made you make the call? She said, you looked suspicious. Simple and simple as that. Well, that's fair uh, enough. Security blokes yeah, well, don't see me. you sitting across from me and it's like, I'd make the call as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to stop wearing those hoodies and I should start shaving again. Yeah. But, um, but, but, you know, to her absolute credit, and that's just one example, but you yep. talk about um, cyber resilience and being yep. aware of um, cyber breaches, hacks and phishing and vishing, which yep. is the other and so on and so forth, whilst we still get caught up in that yep. because we are being, you know, we are being compromised regularly as a society, 
on the most part, a lot of my clients now are investing appropriately into that education yep. and that awareness. And I think a lot of this is probably the upside of this huge spending in cyber, that that falls under that remit. And so yep. I do, to the credit of many of my client organisations, I, I am seeing a, a vast improvement in that yep. space. Yep. One thing I'd add to that is to, um, to tailor it. You know, I, I do a lot of work for different organisations and um, and, and often they ask me to do their security awareness training. Yep. So the first thing I do is I send them my uh, certified information system security professional and say, can I have RPL for this? And, <laughs> and, and, and to their credit, most organisations do, yeah, okay, you don't need to do it. And, yeah. and certainly the commercial ones do. But, you know, I did some work for the UN recently, like, yeah, no, you still got to do it. Yep. We're a big bureaucratic machine. We don't care. You've still got to spend an hour doing our security awareness platform. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. But, you know, you're not getting bang for the buck if you're not thinking about what people bring to their job already yeah um, it's got to be a dynamic approach yeah yeah Yeah. and the final one i want to touch on because we're we're starting to run short on time is if you are the person responsible for writing security policy stop making your security policy about how it affects the company and start writing it from the point of view of how it affects the employee Mm. because if i want behavioral change if i want to institute some sort of behavioral economics within the organization if I want you to manage your passwords more effectively, well, I have a, I have this alternative. You can either have a short crap password that you have to replace every 30 days, which is going to be a pain in the ass to you, or I can give you a 256-string password that you can learn, but you then have to never change your password again or maybe change it once a year. Make it about how it affects the individual so they care about the outcome. Yep. So, look, absolutely. It's very much you've got to engage people and say they've got to understand why. They've got to understand how do I fit in? You know, a policy should be really clear. What am I responsible for? At, yep. at which point do I get engaged and, and what do you expect of me? Yep. It, so it, it's it's tailor. It's make it real. It, and in my pet peeve when it, while we're talking about policies is for me a policy is a philosophical statement of intent or the direction from a very high level. So I've never written a policy longer than a page and that's my view if, you, if it's longer than a page, you've written a procedure. I've even seen contact phone numbers go into a document called a policy. I'm like, no, no, that's separate your policy from your procedures, from your instructions and from all the, the forms. Don't try and yeah. – you don't help anybody it's by the making – old KISS methodology, isn't it? Keep don't it don't simple, make it complicated. Stupid. No one will read it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I might just add to your concern relating to policies and procedures and so on and so forth. Um, stop cookie cutting. Yeah. It, it's not a cookie cutter approach. And it, it, it goes back to what JT said a little bit earlier in this discussion, and that is um, do your homework. Yep. So understand what it is that the organisation needs. So if somebody says, well, we need, and let's just say an insider threat management policy, you can't pull the one out that you did for the last organisation because it's not necessarily going to relate to the current one. Yep. And this is where I'm, I'm afraid organisations often skimp from a budgetary perspective you've got to do a vulnerability assessment. You need yep. to know what it is you're dealing with. What is their current state and where do they need to get to? Yep. And then you need to create that policy and or procedure or process, whatever it is with the, within the organisation, to suit the nature of that organisation. And the culture and dynamics of that organisation, let's say uh, within a law enforcement body, are going to be extraordinarily different to what they are in a social media organisation. Yep. You can't just cut and paste yep. in that respect. Yep. Yeah. But definitely 
try and frame those procedures in a context that will drive the behaviours that you actually totally want. Totally agree. And the old threat image projection systems in airports that they used to use was a perfect example of this where, you know, they would randomly interject, uh, you know, images into passenger screening that would be threats. But then what they would do is they would run prizes and competitions at various airports to say, you know, the person who hits the button to notify us that they've seen something that's a fake projection who gets the highest number of those per per month might, you know, win a trip to such and such or get a free flight to X or whatever. All of a sudden now I have a reason for behaving the way that you want me to behave. You talk about changing behavioural process within an organisation. Yep. Uh, there is a government entity who we do a lot of work with and regularly they've been breaching their staff for leaving classified material on the table or not locking the cabinets properly, or whatever the circumstance, yeah. right? And I'm, I'm mildly hypothetical in this, yeah. in this statement. And so they, they leave these red cards on the table saying yeah. security has been through and we found a breach. Yeah. I said, stop doing it. Yeah. And they go, are you mad? You know, they're going to continue. They're not going to know. And I said, why don't you issue a green card for good performance? Yep, catch them doing and something And put right. a reward structure in place. So if you get four green or five green cards, you get a $20 movie voucher. I said, the secretary will approve that. Hmm. Why not? Why not turn it into a positive and not a negative? Absolutely. And this is all about sentiment within the organisation, back to our earlier discussions on culture within the organisation. Let's become a culture where we reward good behaviour and don't punish bad behaviour across yep. the board. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's important to... Ca it, this is Management 101. Catch people doing something right. That's yep. the important thing. Well, we're such a, 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 a you know a disgruntled yep. culture nowadays that we Absolutely. don't look at things that way. We look at what's wrong rather than what's right, and, and that, we need to change. That's it. a whole other podcast. This uh, <laughs> the modern culture that we're in and the environment we're in. It is. Indeed. But, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of time. Julian Claxton, thank you very much. Thank you, JB. Julian Talbot, thank you very much. Thank you, JB. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to hear more podcasts like this one, there are plenty in the ASIAL Insider podcast series. Just go to the ASIAL website, www.asial.com.au. Go to the news section. You will find all the podcasts there. I think we must be getting close to about 100 of them now. Uh, and you can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, Burberry, Blurberry, Spotify, uh, and all the good places where you find podcasts. And until next time, have a great day. Securacy is proud to be a supporter of ASIAL's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Securacy, security workforce management software reimagined.